BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a group of unhoused veterans create an encampment for their fellow servicemen right next to a VA hospital. Are the goals of the government, the neighbors, and the vets aligned? We'll review the podcast from KCRW, City of Tents, Veterans Row. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. I'm enjoying your new haircut, Kevin. Oh, yeah. Did you take it with a fade? Here, look at this fade. You're very here high on this. and tight. Yeah. I think that Rob would enjoy it. Right right into my uh, my beard. Look at that. It's super. That's not a thing women notice. It just isn't. Okay. <laughs> it's not a thing anybody listening to this can notice either. It's also not a thing, by the way, like beard maintenance is like a truly male thing. It just is. Uh, it just is. Well, unless you're in the circus lady. <laughs> also with us is our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca, you kind of caught me off guard by taking me out of I order. know, but there's a reason why I did that, because filling in for the vacationing Laura Bricker is our very special guest, our handsome line editor, Livy Burdett. Hello, Livy. Hello. I cannot believe you're here. How does it feel? I can't wait for everyone to judge how my voice sounds. Like <laughs> <laughs> well, I promise we're not going to get any emails or feedback about your laugh. Yeah, try it, not to laugh. You'll be fine. No, it only happens <laughs> about me. You're, I, I am like your pick and roll. I am like the mm-hmm. person making the left in front of you in the lane. Like, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't get... Sports references, but yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not sure what a pick and roll Is has to do with this, reference? but that's fine. Yeah. No, it's like literally just a thing that's happening in front of you that everyone looks at so that like no one's paying attention to the other thing. Like that's all. That's She's going to draw mean. the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's all I mean. So, Kevin, this is obviously Monday's fine program. Yes, it is. What is happening on Thursday's podcast? Well, on Thursday, we're actually going to be having a Crime Writers on Classic Rewind. Why? Because you and I are going to be like Laura Bricker. And we're blowing this popsicle stand. I can't wait. So uh, we are, we do have a uh, a classic episode. We're going to be going back and listening to our review of CBC's Uncover, Escaping Nexium. Okay. I mean, that was the first time a lot of us heard about that whole story. Look That's at right. it now. That's right. But then on Monday, week from today, we're going to be back with uh, another episode with Toby and Livy, and we're going to be talking about the new season of Smokescreen, Deadly Cure. Smokescreen. Two words. Deadly yeah. Cure. Okay. I'm looking forward to that one. I know we have a lot of thoughts about that podcast, and I'm looking forward to hearing next Monday's podcast about that. Um, I am really excited to talk about the podcast we're talking about uh, tonight. So I think we should just get to it. You guys just want to do that and like jump in, see how Livy does? Yeah, that's what I really want to see. Let's throw her <laughs> out of the nest and in the water, yes. whatever it is. Yeah, <laughs> Like not even warm up with chit-chat. Livy, was there any chit-chat you were hoping to do? Like, I know, I was hoping for a good... Six to eight minutes of chit chat <laughs> that I could cut down to four minutes. <laughs> I'm cutting it down. All right. Burn. Like, That's a burn. There's nothing I love more than listening to Rebecca, Lara, and Toby talk about some bullshit stuff for a long time that I have to make really tight <laughs> and not boring. And listening to Kevin seething like, 
Olivia's gonna fucking kill us. <laughs> this is the dullest thing, and she's gotta sit through this before she can even make a single edit. It's so funny. In case something happens. Before you, we were having some tech issues, fine listeners. Uh, that I did just cause us to be 30 minutes late, it's fine. so I, I can't really it's say fine. shit. But before you came on, I was just telling Toby, because I was just editing, like, finally mixing the show that you sent me today that's coming out tomorrow about the Murdoch murders, and I was just telling him how funny it was listening to him take selfies of himself. <laughs> and I was like, it was like nine minutes of it just was. laughing. And I, I always think like, what is it like for poor Livy? Like before we start. <laughs> Toby's got his, uh, his selfies out again. Yeah. I mean, it's just like. <laughs> well, one thing I just want to do ask you, like you never met Toby before. This is the first time. I know. I know. What are your first impressions, if any? <laughs> um, he's so he's so That's tall, Toby Ball. Handsome, <laughs> yes. Toby Ball. So be tall, Bobby. Good, tall. good answer. <laughs> yeah, Libby's going to be on a uh, deep dive in a, in a few That's months. Right. Great, great. Oh yeah, she pitched herself for the podcast. She's then she knows afraid. how to work her microphone. She's great. <laughs> now that she's a public radio <laughs> professional, she's going to be pitching herself to all the shows. Yeah, you got to get on Pop Culture Happy Hour. You got to get on Crime Writers on. Uh, anything else you want to get on, let me know. I'll pull some strings. I don't, I don't have a lot of strings, but I'll pull them if I can. <laughs> All right. Now, should we talk about the thing? I think that'd be good now. Yeah, let's okay. do that. All right. I'm going to drop that first clip right now. Let's do it. Leading off. Livy, here's where you're going to put that first clip. So out here, it's like, I got friends, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by people 24-7. Um... We don't always get along, and it's, it's a lot of drama, but it's, yeah, I'm not alone. In one of L.A.'s fanciest neighborhoods, unhoused military veterans erect a tent city. While some volunteer to help the vets, others want to see the encampment demolished and its occupants moved along. It's not an exaggeration to say homelessness is deadly. So for all the activity around this camp, I want to know who is actually helping the veterans get off the street. And people in Brentwood want to know, when is this whole encampment going to get off the street? The camp sits along a fence to the local LAVA hospital, the place where services for them are offered. But some don't qualify or can't get into their programs. Others choose to remain on the street. But if the vets don't find another place to live, the sheriff will ensure the tents come down. They are done meeting with social workers, with the VA, with service providers. They are done walking up and down the encampment to get a better sense of who is there and what services they need. And they are now ready and ready to go and get their go order. From KCRW comes City of Tents, Veterans Row. Reporter Anna Scott brings us into a world where the desires of activists, officials, neighbors, and vets themselves are often at cross-purposes. It examines the larger issue of homelessness and the half-measures employed to solve the problem. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from City of Tents, Veterans Row. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. So, Toby, like this podcast is really about a lot of things, but the first central question it starts with is about public spaces and who owns them, right? Yeah. So I think this is, it's sort of a question that I think most cities and, you know, some towns, I guess, uh, have to deal with, which is how do you govern those spaces, right? In this case, it's an, you know, it's an encampment, essentially. It's a, it's a tent city, which prevents the people, you know, prevents you from taking kids to play on the grass or, or whatever. So those are the kind of give and takes that, that a lot of places run into. And, you know, I think there's legitimate claims going both ways. And I think it's, it's sort of a sub category of this larger argument about what do you do with unhoused people? Like how, do, how do you deal with this larger problem in this particular case? I think the fact that it's taking place in this sort of wealthy community where I would assume parks are part of the appeal in the idea that, you know, it's become sort of off limits just because it's filled with tents uh, is something that people in the community have an issue with. Unhoused people have got to be somewhere, right? And the whole sort of not in my backyard, the NIMBY idea, which is 
can't they be in downtown Los Angeles or whatever? That's like a whole different question is where unhoused people allowed to be, where they, you know, they're almost never sort of quote unquote accepted, but where is it going to be possible for them to stay? And then what did, what does law enforcement do about it? So Livy, isn't the key to a podcast like this really like the reporting and who's doing it? Yeah, I would say so. And I think Anna Scott, the KCRW reporter who's at the helm of this does a really good job. She has a really sort of casual, inquisitive way of doing her narration. She kind of keeps it at the same tone throughout her narration and in her conversations that she has with veterans, with police, with LA government officials. And it's really clear that she knows what she's doing and she has all the sources that she needs to back this up because she's been a reporter at KCRW covering this issue for a long time. It was ginormous, about 40 tents in all, all matching. Each tent was tall enough to stand in and about as long as a car. And each one had a big American flag pinned flat to the front. Right across the street from upscale condo buildings and an Italian restaurant with $25 plates of pasta, you could not drive by this row of tents without wondering what the heck was happening there. Yeah, I really think she is the secret sauce because as you point out, this is her actual beat. So while sometimes there's some benefit from like a reporter sort of parachuting into a topic or an area, if the purpose is to get a, a view, a fresh view of something that that has its place but you really can't beat somebody who has hundreds of hours of tape already and you know can draw from all their past reporting and you know has been on the ground i mean they really bring uh, an elevated uh, perspective and can really get into the issue so this probably doesn't work with somebody else i completely agree with you and what's most interesting to me and unusual is that i think that with a less experienced reporter on this kind of beat, the unhoused people would be the outsiders and we would be the insiders. And because Anna is so experienced, like this is the community that she's reporting on. We never get anything like this is what they look like. This is what they how they live. This is how they dress like they're othered. The others, like in episode one, are like the Brentwood people who come and take photos of themselves uh, for Instagram. Like hash, fuck those people. Hashtagging. Like, yeah, for an instant, it's like they're doing cookouts for these, you know, homeless people, but then they're also tagging hashtag homelessness, hashtag whatever. I feel like this is a gift from God that this is something I can I can help so much so close. She also documents her helping on Instagram, where she has more than 80,000 followers. And Tara is just one of several people who post pictures and videos of Veterans Row on social media. Hashtag Veterans Row. Even though, like, the, quote, well-meaning people in the neighborhood are, like, virtue signaling their well-meaningness, like, that was wild, in my opinion. And they're also doing it with their vets. Yes. And they're in this, like, really apparently well-maintained tent enclave. So it's not it's not sort of typical, right? That's right. Yeah. No, no. And I really liked all the history stuff in this podcast of homelessness and how this um, encampment and the VA got set up in L.A. But I think because it's a new encampment, there could be like an easy way to go in and say, oh, where did these people come from? But instead, they approach it from a very different angle. Talk about that history stuff a little bit, Livy, because I thought it was very interesting to hear about this heiress who like donated this land and how this land is not being used in the way it's intended to be used. Yeah, I think it's so interesting just for the history of L.A. as a city that this woman had access to 400 acres of land in what is now one of the biggest metropolitan areas in the United States like 100 years ago. And she donated it specifically to disabled veterans for them to live there. And a hundred years later, nobody has kept that promise. And now disabled veterans are living on the outskirts of that acreage that was supposed to be their own to live on. Yeah, there is this idea, Toby, that like you don't want to make things nice. Right. For people who don't have homes. Right. You, you, you don't want to make things too nice. And even the VA has this attitude to some extent, like when COVID hits, 
and shelter is required. We hear there are all these buildings on this property, yet their solution is let's put some pup tents on the property. That seems to be a recurring theme. Like if you make things too nice, then people will become enabled. Like, what do you hear when you hear that? Because we specifically hear that also from this head of this like neighborhood association lady in Brentwood. Well, I, I, we've talked about this before. It's like, there's a certainly a, a current in American sort of thought and politics, which is sort of disdain for people who are poor or unhoused or, or, or basically aren't quote unquote succeeding in the way that is sort of acceptable. I think there's a sense among some people, which, which I absolutely do not agree with, which is that if you make people uncomfortable enough that they will go and they will like pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And really all that's keeping these people who are unhoused from bettering their lot is because their tents are so nice or something. And it quite honestly just seems insane. The only person that they talk to that really seems to enjoy being in that situation is that one guy who's like, if I was living alone in an apartment, I'd be losing my mind. You know, I like the social aspect of these things, the vast, vast majority of people do not choose to be unhoused. And this idea that if their life is a little bit harder, then they'll work harder to get out of it. It doesn't follow. I don't think, I mean, I, you know, nobody wants to be in this situation and you can hear from the people that they're doing the things that they feel like they need to do to get out of it. But the sort of hurdles that they have to get over don't really have a whole lot to do with their tents being too nice. This happens is a crazy moment in the podcast where this like killing happens, where this guy gets, mm-hmm. you know, run over by this car. And this woman, the neighborhood association woman says like, you know, he was a day or two days away from being led into this vet program. And if only he had done that, he wouldn't have been killed. And I'm like, you do realize you're talking about something that he would have done in the future, not before. He was killed. Like, the, like, even the thinking is so warped. But there is this, like, constant thread, Kevin, of, like, this political messaging around these veterans, right? How they get used as as props even on the political side, too, right? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think it's it's about patriotism and the way that we are, are, are some people leverage that. Like, those politicians came to, like, make a point about being with these unhoused veterans and you know what a shame our nation and we need to but those guys are never going to skid row and giving the same message right even i bet if you ask them to be like oh it's a safety net not a hammock you know it's like fuck off forever man and i just think that there is also a tolerance for the encampment because you know we think it's like it's really different because they're veterans, as opposed to perhaps other people who are in similar situations, right? A lot of times, you know, mental health does play a big issue in in homelessness. And when you see a vet and you understand he or she might have PTSD, the public is usually sympathetic because they see that as a consequence of their service, right? It's a, it's a, a wound from battle. And so it's something that, like, we sympathize with because that's how you, you became mentally uh, ill because of your PTSD. For civilians, they believe that mental illness is like a moral failing or a character flaw. And they don't have this, you know, it's like, well, you know, you got yourself there into that tent or that gutter or whatever. And so, you know, as far as like the politicizing of it, it's it's partly like you said, you know, they they throw the flag at something and you say, oh, well, that's sacrosanct because of patriotism or whatever, as opposed to what it what it actually is. Like I could say this is not a commercial. It's just the business section. Oh, man, Kevin. And it would. Just, I didn't know that was coming, but that was that was not bad. Well, I'm just saying, you know, it's like you could you can present it as, as one thing. Yeah. But it could also be another thing, right? Yeah. Right. Like yeah. if I said, if you were to join us on Patreon, yeah, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media, you yes. can hear the crime writers on after show. It's just like that, Kevin. It's just like that. And <laughs> I'm very ashamed of this transition, but keep going. It's about politics, Rebecca. Okay. This uh, this week's Crime Writers on After Show, we are going to be talking with By our guest. Libby's watching this in real time. This is actually how it goes. She's rolling her eyes like, I got to fucking edit this. No, now, you right? don't have to edit it. This is actually how it happens sometimes. Sometimes the transition is real and I'm 
actually rolling my eyes about it. Go ahead, Kevin. What's yeah. happening on our Patreon? Well, we're going to be talking more with Olivia Burdett. And uh, Olivia, we asked folks... It's Olivia Burdett. Well, God's I'm being... I'm That's being... my professional name. <laughs> I'm, I'm, being, I'm like doing the formal <laughs> first Haven't you heard reference. the credits of Livy's professional day job? Come on. We're going to be getting to know Livy a bit better. We asked folks in our uh, our Facebook discussion group if they had a question... For our handsome lion editor, Livy Burdett, what would they want to ask? And so we'll go through some of those. Yes. Also, we have uh, coming up in the feed, we're going to have the latest Leave it to Bricker. Lara, who is away right now at Key West, uh, she is going to be discussing the new cat cafe that opened up near her home. Apparently, it is not what she thought it was going to be. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> and also down the road. Wait, wait, wait. Laura thought something was going to be one thing and it ended up being another thing. That's never happened before. <laughs> well, it's worth that extra dollar a month to figure out what the, <laughs> what the hell happens to her. And also Toby Ball's got a new episode of the Deep Dive coming up. And uh, tell us about the book, Toby. Uh, it's called Tell Me Everything by a woman named Erica Krauss, who, much like Laura Bricker, was a uh, defense investigator. It sort of starts with a uh, sexual assault on the University of Colorado campus, allegedly by some football players. And then it kind of grows to where they're they're investigating sort of the whole culture of the football team and also the university. So it's, it's really good. We had a great conversation. I was joined by Alex Segura, who people listen to the Deep Dive will know, and uh, Kimberly from Date with Dateline. And then uh, in her debut on the Deep Dive, Kate Tuttle, who is the books editor. I'm not getting the title exactly right, but she runs the books stuff for People Magazine. So a real goddamn critic, not like us. Yeah, it's yeah. she's not a poser like that. You can read her criticisms <laughs> in your doctor's office at People Magazine. That's right. Exactly. That's right next to highlights. Exactly. <laughs> Goofus and Gallant and Kate Tuttle. Jeez. <laughs> that was a deep cut, wasn't it? was a it? super that... deep cut. Toby, what else you got going on? Because there's some exciting stuff happening, right? Yeah, so uh, first of all, on uh, this coming Wednesday, which is March 8th uh, at 7 o'clock at the Portsmouth Book and Bar in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, uh, it's going to be Noir at the Bar, which is where a whole bunch of different mystery and crime writers each take a turn, like reading a little bit from, I think they said works in progress. I don't have a work in progress. <laughs> so one of my, be faking it. my work set is finished. But uh, so... In addition to myself and Laura Bricker, there's Tess Gerritsen's going to be there, apparently. And uh, Brendan Dubois, or Dubois, Dubois, I'm not sure how he pronounces it. And it looks like there's like 10 or 11 of us, maybe. So that should be fun. It's free. Book and Bar is a really cool place. You can get a beer. It's a lot of uh, used books. Uh, maybe some new ones, there too. There are new ones, too, uh, Toby. There are new ones yes. too. Have you yeah, been? I don't know. It's actually just a bookstore with a bar. I was just there. I was there fairly recently, actually, because one of my daughter's friends has a jazz residency the first Friday of every month or something. Anyway, so that's going on this Wednesday. Also, this Wednesday, if you check your Strange Arrival feeds, there will be the trailer for season three, which is going to be starting a week from this uh, Wednesday, so March 15th, will be episode one really? of season three of Strange Arrivals. Yeah. Congratulations. So, ready or not, here That's it comes. very exciting. Oh, wait, Kevin, can I just mention something? Sure. For people who may have heard your cameo in episode two of Bearbrook, oh, season two, Ooh. you with a little piece of copaganda in episode two. Fuck me. <laughs> All right. Uh-oh. We're talking about like, no. the, like I just want to say the alleged terrible cop in this case. And like the one so thing. So I'm shutting your microphone off. <laughs> there we go. All right. So Rebecca asked, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week? And I'll just say our Patreon patron saints are Andrea Hamilton yes. and Megan Lugo. Bless you. Bless you guys. Uh, Kevin does not actually do copaganda in episode two of Beverly, but it's a funny cameo. Uh, bless you guys. Bless everyone who muscles through our business section every week. Bless you to Livy who has to edit our business section every week. And thank you for muscling through, Kevin. Should I fade the music out right now? Fade the music out. All right, I'm going to go ahead and do that. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. 
Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, so Olivia, I have to ask you a quick question because we were just talking about how, you know, people make this place political and like do their stand-ups in front of it and they film their political ads in front of it in the wind and all that stuff. And they don't do that in Skid Row. Part of me is like, isn't this because this place is like neat and clean, quote, you know, and, and it's like, it's like, it's considered palatable compared to like other unhoused encampments. I mean, part of that is like, I can't stop thinking about the fact how Anna describes this place at the beginning. Like, this is a place that Brentwood residents, some portion of them, have decided is, like, quote, tolerable and Instagrammable in their neighborhood. So I just keep thinking, like, politicians, people running for attorney general and so forth are like, ooh, opportunity, right? In a way that, like, they wouldn't see other places where homeless people were living. And that's gross in its own way, but probably true, right? Yeah, I think, what do they call it? Dress right, dress... Yeah. Something. They have a phrase from the military that they use to say that they keep things in order Yeah, in this camp. And yeah, that's an interesting thing optically and politically because it creates an opportunity for people who want to look good and say, oh, I'm doing something. And I think what I want to talk about is that for the many different groups, the government agencies, the outreach agencies, they're all have good intentions for, you know, helping these people. And sometimes the best they think they can do is give out water or take a video for Instagram. At one point in the podcast, Anna Scott says something which really felt really true was that all these different agencies, all these different people that are going to this encampment to show either their support for the veterans or try and say that they're doing something for them. They all come from such different angles that things are always going to slip through the cracks. And there's no actual agency that's truly being held accountable to helping these people and actually getting them into permanent housing, which is always, you know, the goal. And because there's no real accountability, I think that's a big theme just in the entire conversation around homelessness in this country. Nobody, and especially not the VA, where which yeah. is supposed to be held accountable for them, nobody's doing really anything yeah. and promising a lot. Yeah. I have to say, as somebody who was born in a VA hospital and spent a big portion of her childhood, my dad was an army captain and then he worked for the VA as an army psychologist for many years. So I spent a huge part of my childhood going to VA facilities to like swim in the pools and like play in the parks and like do stuff. So like I like I'm not unfamiliar with VA lands and VA programs and like the VA as an organization. I think the VA is a shameful institution. Uh, and listening to this podcast is not not underlining that for me in many ways. And Toby, you have a note about this. And I'm just curious about your thoughts about the fact that when they set up this pup tent city for these veterans, there was this contrast in sort of the levels of freedom that veterans were able to live in, in their encampment right outside the fence where they could live in tents that where they could stand up inside of them and not have to have creaky knees and they could warm themselves in front of a fire and they could not have to go through a level of security and uh, before going to bed at night. And then when they were inside the VA facility, they felt like they were dehumanized. Like, what do you think of that? Because I, I find myself thinking like, even if the VA did construct these apartments as they were promised, would they have dignity living in these apartments or would it be the sort of the same level of like scrutiny 
where they were living on the campus and and treated in this way where they didn't feel like whole people. Well, I think there's a few different things going on there, right? One of them is like what what are the actual conditions of their tents? Like they've got these small tents compared to the big tents that are outside the gates. And I don't know what that's all about. I, you know, the whole acquisitions and stuff. But um, you know, just in terms of like being searched coming in and out, she hasn't at least yet talked about like sort of what the rules are for being inside the gate tent city, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was uh, you have to be drug free. I'm sure they're concerned about people bringing weapons in. So the whole thing about being searched, you know, it's not ideal, but you can see why they why they would do it if they're trying to, again, keep it drug free, keep it weapon free. Uh, I think that's the kind of stuff that you, that you probably have to do. You know, I mean, the other the other thing you can do is just say, you know, we're not going to worry about that stuff. Just come on in which is another choice, but that, that tends not to be the way those, those things work. So I haven't done anything with people specifically who are unhoused. When I was working the last job uh, that I had, I was working with helping evaluate a program that was working with people who had opioid use disorder. And that has a lot of overlaps with people who are unhoused. And I was thinking about that a lot as we were going through this you know, and this goes to what Livy was saying about how how people reach out and sometimes they don't have a whole lot to do. Like a lot of the stuff that people who are workers out in the field have to do is just build trust with people. And I think Rob brings this stuff up when he's talking. Like I've got some issues maybe with how Rob goes about it, but he basically he's doing what I think is kind of best practices, which is you meet with the people, you figure out what they need, and you take care of those needs. And you, and you have this larger goal in mind, but the idea is not you're just like constantly pushing them in that direction. Is You have to build trust. There's going to be some distrust, particularly when the government, like the VA, gets involved. And, and so it's it's building that trust for people. It's the coordination, again, like Livy said, making sure that people are working efficiently. The people who are doing certain things are doing are not overlapping with other people who are working at cross purposes. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, these are huge, huge problems and there's no single entity that's there to try and solve them. So anything that you're doing, is going to kind of be piecemeal just by definition. And it's like, how well can you coordinate those services? And, and I guess we'll talk about the whole Alex Villanueva thing in a minute, but yeah, it was just interesting having that background and listening to this. And sometimes it was like, oh, yeah, like that's totally that seems right on. And then other times it's like, I, you know, that just doesn't seem, you know, I, I think it's it's not realistic or they want to move things too quickly or it's not a realistic view of things. Did anybody besides me wonder, wonder like what Rob's day job was like? He's there every day. Like, like that's like my one question. I'm like, what does Rob do for a living? Like, like is he, he's like he's there every day. He's talking to these veterans every day. They're like, but he had his own journey, and then he's like, he got out, but now he's here every day. I'm like, what's Rob's job? Should like, work for the VA. He raise, is he married? He must raise money or something, what's, right? I don't know. I'm extremely curious. This is the one question I have for Anna Scott. Is like, what does Rob do for a living? It's like very, I'm very, very curious about he, that. He needs to start a nonprofit, man. Uh, Rob needs to start a podcast where we he can tell me what he does for a living. I'm extremely curious about it. So, Kevin, uh, Toby just invoked our Darth Vader of the podcast. Fucking Al- Villanueva. <laughs> he is the Anakin Skywalker of Well, we sheriffs. obviously reviewed a whole Didn't other- Didn't care for him a lot before. Really hate him after. Why did you care for him a lot before? Villanueva? We- yeah, because we did a whole other podcast about him. We did him. a whole other podcast about him. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, as soon as I heard, like, oh, no, Sheriff Villanueva is getting involved with this encampment- any hope I had anything good about what's going to happen to this 10 city district? I have a plan. Fresh, he I says. have a plan. Five, five point plan. It works every time. I talked about it on Fox News, and you're like, oh, God damn it. He knows how to get rid of homeless camps so well, he has it down to a science. The five step process is a 30 day process from start to finish. Toby, like, as soon as you hear that Villanueva is in charge, I'm sure you're like, oh, this is going to turn out fine. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. Those people's lives are about to get much, much, much better. better. Here, I got the bootstraps for you. It's a bulldozer. 
Yeah, and the thing is, we just got to the end of ep- episode four, and the final episode is coming out this week, and I'm like, cliffhanger, no! This isn't going to work out good. Like, it's a, it's a perfect place to kind of stop and make me want to scream. I think I sent an email to Anna Scott like, you can't do this to me. Really? Send me the last episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you, Livy, about is that you sent a really interesting note about the episode about the murder, about the murder with the car. Yeah. I think what Anna Scott did really well there was something that I don't think I've heard much in true crime podcasts is that she immediately twists it not to, oh, who is this person that committed this murder, but what's the deeper cause of it? And who's sort of really to blame, I think, is kind of one, a theme of this episode, but also a theme of this entire show is digging deeper into like what's the real cause of what brought this encampment here in the first place? Why is it here specifically? And then who's at fault for the bad things, including murder, that happened there? I just wanted to ask you one final question, Livy, because you are a young journalist. You just graduated uh, college, and I know that you're working like in your first journalism job. So there's a scene where Anna is with this veteran in distress in the street, and you know he's dying basically, right? And she's in the one hand reporting on him, and on the other hand realizing that she could and maybe should intervene. Um, and we hear her in the car, like crying on the way home, realizing that she's in the sort of this hopeless situation, but she's also like a journalist, right? What were you thinking when you heard that scene in the podcast? I mean, it was such a, I think, really meaningful moment of journalistic transparency where she was, one, showing us this tape of her crying. It kind of reminded me almost of the um, the scene in Bone Valley where Kelsey kind of breaks down at one point when they go to look at the the crime scene photos, I think. So Dennis is going to keep an eye on him, but uh, doesn't have a phone. Meanwhile, Dennis is sitting in the exact same position that he was in one week ago when I was here last Thursday. And he's very sunburned. It just really upset me. Having just like, I think this very human thing of like, is there something I should have done differently in that moment? And she goes back and asks somebody, did I do the right thing in that moment? And it felt so real to me. And you can kind of get her personality, but also sort of, I I think it's an insight into this system yet again, which is like anyone that tries to help and has good intentions is at risk of getting into one of these situations where you don't know what to do and there's no structural thing for you to turn to that's like I can call this person or this agency and they're gonna help this person. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out City of Tents, Veterans Row? This is a podcast from KCRW, public radio station. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for City of Tents, Veterans Row? Yeah, I really like this. I, I really like Anna Scott as a narrator. I We didn't talk at all about sort of the, the music that's used in this, but it's it's a lot heavier than what we're used to, and I thought it. I thought it was good. I liked it as a change of pace. Yeah, I think it's it's excellently reported. It's a it's an issue that affects most cities, if not all cities, in our country, and it's sort of taking a look at 
it in a microcosm, but you sort of understand what some of the issues are. Um, it's a little bit specific to the VA, but that's an issue in and of itself. So anyway, yeah, I, I really like this. I, I give it a, a hearty thumbs up. Livy Burdett, what do you think? City of Tents, Veterans Row, thumbs up or thumbs down? Oh, my first thumbs up or thumbs down. <laughs> that's right. Um, I also give a hearty thumbs up. Um, I totally agree with Toby about the music thing. I hadn't known about this. At first, I it, it's like this really sort of metal-y guitar thing that comes on really strong in the first episode. Wow. And that sort of made me feel like, <laughs> ooh, yikes. Like, is this going to be <laughs> like over-dramatizing this whole situation in like a wondery e kind of way? But then as the episodes went on, I feel like it kind of... It grew on me because the reporting and the whole story kind of is intense in this sort of way where you have this very empathetic reporting host voice, but then you have like the cops and the politicians and the characters who are living in the encampment. And I don't know, it, 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 the stakes feel high in that way. But yeah, I also want to echo Toby in that. I think this is such a huge national issue, but I think it does. The podcast does a really good job of keeping it to this one one space and and really fleshing that out. So, yeah, my first thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. Uh, not my first thumbs up, but I'm going to give it one. This was a really great podcast. I think Anna Scott does a great job of bringing her institutional knowledge of the issue, putting it in this podcast. It certainly seems like, you know, there's a, a lot of time put into covering this particular part of the story about Veterans Row. And she really brings this alive. You know, also, he's not like going to give us the... Yeah, there's, well, the simple answer is this, or even, well, it's a very difficult thing. She really does kind of dive into all the different aspects of how this tent city was uh, erected, like, right in front of the, the VA. And she really gives everybody the space to, you know, you realize that, in a way, everybody, the politicians, the advocates, the unhoused veterans themselves— Everybody has a right to some extent about what they feel, but also wrong in different ways. And they're always kind of at cross purposes. And so that's that's an issue. Anyway, it's very illuminating. It's well put together. Uh, I like the metal music. So screw you guys. And uh, <laughs> you like it. I like it. They, anyway. said, they both said they liked it. Ultimately. I know. I like it, too. Thumbs up. Yeah. So I have something like sort of bigger I want to say about this. I really love this podcast. And uh, to me, this is an example of what's left that's decent in this medium and what public media is capable of doing when it stops its hand wringing about doing something in this medium. But more than that, you're going to hear a review from us in about a week where I will probably reiterate some of these same things. A lot about our industry is broken right now. And the reason it's broken is that a lot of what people are making is a product that's due on a deadline that is arbitrary, that has nothing to do with how good what we're supposed to be making is. I am watching it happen around me. I uh, know a lot of people who are working on things like that. And it's like, okay, we have a story. Oh, there's nothing there there. Well, it has to be finished in this amount of weeks and this many episodes anyway. And, you know, a journalism outlet like this has a unique opportunity to take a story not made that way and just put out as many episodes as it needs to be go in as much depth as they need to do it with the right reporter at the right time and take a very local issue with national import and do it the right way. This is a perfect example of that. And I am so unbelievably proud of KCRW for making this podcast because as much as I have historically sort of crapped on uh, public radio for being so far behind the industry and where it should be in terms of like thinking of itself as part of the industry and making the shows it should make and monetizing itself the way it should be monetized. Like this is what you can do. And this is what we can do with the journalism that we have in making just freaking baller podcasts that are exactly what podcasts should be. Like this is great. I learned a lot. Uh, for lack of, I use this word all the time, but I was entertained by it. Like I wanted to listen to the next episode 
And I've never heard a story about homeless veterans before. Have any of you? No, I know you haven't. Because I, I know you haven't. Um, yeah, it's really, really, really good. Thumbs up, big time. And congratulations to everyone who had a hand in this podcasting. And I am the only one of the four of you who does not like the music in this podcast. And I'm happily going to say it. It's the one thing I didn't like about it. But I loved everything else about it. And I really want to know what Rob does for a living. It's my only question. All right. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. A little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. The week. Police in Peru have arrested a former delivery man and seized the 800-year-old mummy he'd been carrying around in his insulated delivery bag. Julio Cesar Bermejo says he's had the mummy for 30 years, ever since his father brought it home. He says he calls it Juanita and sleeps beside it every night. He says she's, quote, like my spiritual girlfriend. Cool. The cops cracked the case when they spotted Julio showing off his petrified partner to friends in the park. Experts say the mummy was from the Peruvian Andes and died before the first Europeans arrived. They say that Juanita is a Juan, though mummy gender is a construct. Cultural officials have seized the mummified remains in order to protect and preserve this heritage. No word on exactly what charges Julio is facing. So panel, talk about a May-December romance. What might this couple do on a romantic evening at home? Toby Ball, what do you think? Uh, Netflix and Decompose. (laughs) (laughs) Livy Burdett, what do you think this couple might do on a romantic evening at home? Uh, Double date with Leonardo DiCaprio and his 19-year-old girl. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think, Kevin Flynn? Uh, Heavy petting, but it's just over the bandage stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yuck. I'm going to say go to the Victoria and Albert Museum and look at all the other stolen stuff. (laughs) All right. That's going to do it before we go. Uh, Toby Ball. Toby Ball. Do we have a cat of the week this week? Uh, we do. Oh, my God. You're doing the honors, Toby. What is the cat of the week? Okay, hold on. <laughs> you're going to do a Lara and look up the cat as if you didn't know you had yeah, this job? Yeah, okay. Cat of the week. <laughs> All right. All right. Hang in there, people. Uh, does, All right. does Lara pick the cat ahead of time or does she just go into her email in Good real question. time? We don't know. Who knows? Uh, all right. So... Uh, the cat of the week this week is actually a dog of the Yay, week. I know that makes Rebecca happy. All right, here we go. Uh, well, this comes from Erica S. So Yay, that's Erica. who it's from. Hi, Erica. Uh, yeah. uh, George, in parentheses, Costanza, is a three-year-old dachshund pit bull mix I found on the street two years ago. Within a month of finding him, he was di- diagnosed with stage four heart failure. Uh. A year and a half later on meds, he is doing fantastic. Yay. This summer, he was walking one morning and four hours later was paralyzed in the back of his body. I guess I should have said, I I think she actually wrote, he was doing fantastic. (laughs) Because this September, he was walking one morning and four hours later was paralyzed in the back of his body. I rushed him to the hospital where after an MRI, they said he slipped a disc, which apparently is common for dachshunds. That happened to my dog. Doing... Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, Doing surgery would give him a 30% chance of walking again. He would need to be put down without surgery because he was in pain, and he would likely die during the surgery because of his heart failure. I had to decide immediately. There are no good choices. Um... The surgery was a success. They re-diagnosed his heart failure to a murmur. I have one of those. Uh, Went from five minutes a day to two, and he's living his best life. Uh, He can walk short distances and gets around the house and plays with his friends with ease. On long walks, he enjoys the scenery from the Little Red Wagon, which we actually have a picture of, although in this picture it's black. (laughs) And um, he's the star of the neighborhood, loves being the center of attention during physical therapy, and my little miracle boy. Although he's cost me the equivalent of a 2010 used Toyota Camry. (laughs) Yes, she did the math. Um, And people will probably think I'm crazy. The love and joy he brings to me, not just me, but my neighbors, has it's it's been worth every penny. Yep. Two words, uh, pet insurance, totally worth yeah. it. When my dog slipped his disc, 
cost me 10% of what it would have cost otherwise. No surgery, by the way, just like drugs, right, Kevin? And that thing Heavy painkillers, yeah, it slipped a disc. Yeah, yeah. Then, I've got a used 2009 Toyota Camry. It doesn't bring my neighbors any pleasure, <laughs> yeah. so I think that was probably a good All right, Toby Ball, move. I know that you are very anxious to take over Cat of the Week from now on, so if folks want to reach you on social media. Just send me your cat to, pics to pitch their at animals, Toby Ball and H. And the red slash black wagons. Livy Burdett, I don't know if you want to be found online, but if you do, how would folks find you there? No? No? Um, no? I don't really post, so. That's <laughs> <laughs> kind of a moot point. Kevin Flynn, if folks want to find you, how can they find you online? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Rebel Lavoie. Follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and please join our amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to our regular Facebook page and join the group. We'll let you in. We had a few people join this week, and most of them picked me as their favorite crime writer. Thank you for doing so. Although a couple Bullshit. people picked Toby, one person picked Kevin, I hope you pick Laura. Support the show at patreon.com. Kevin, at least like one person did. At least did. one did. Uh, slash Partners in Crime Media. You get all the podcasts we make behind there. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very, very smart Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire-based where every morning we wake up to the sound of Reveille. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Have you ever read a murder in... Uh, it's Sebastian Younger wrote a book about the Boston Strangler. Oh, okay. Uh, a murder in and- Beantown? <laughs> no, it's it's like a, it's a murder in one of the I, I can't remember it's Chelsea. one of the suburbs. I'm 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 Watertown, spacing. Revere, um, Mattapan, <laughs> Mattapan, yeah, Worcester, it's a mur- Worcester. murder in Revere, Peabody, um, <laughs> Dorchester. But he, he talks about Dorchester. It's really interesting because he thinks it's, it's a really it's a it's an interesting book. I listened to it on on audio a couple times. Welcome mm. to Worcester. That'll be a dollar twenty five. <laughs> Wanna go to Market Basket? On the way to Dunks? Wanna get a re- gonna get a large regular? <laughs> and a cruller. I'm not a cruller. <laughs> Bear claw, what the fuck is that? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.